Hollywood Hoop Dreams aren't only made from magic, they also come in the form of original podcasts from the Hoop Ball Network. So if you're the Lakers zooming out, are you tempted to bring back DeMarcus Cousins in the playoffs? And do you disrupt the dynamic at that point if he's healthy enough to play? Join Ethan, JC, and the thriving Lakers community around the world to talk about all things Lakers. The Lakers this season has come to expect of this team is consistent winning. That is something we have not been able to say since I've seen Andrew Bynum in a Lakers uniform. The show is available everywhere pods are found and you can follow the show on twitter at hoopball lakers the following is a hoopball presentation welcome to the fantasy nba today podcast i should be excited i should be elated right now I really should be. I'm an, I'm a Los Angeles sports fan that gets to do a sports podcast the morning after the Lakers and the Dodgers on the same day win a playoff game. Something that has this is what happened. I moved my microphone. You hear that loud whirring sound? This is what happens. Uh that this that that occurrence might be but for well, maybe it could happen again, I guess, in tomorrow, day after whatever it turns out to be. Uh but, but this is something that I may never experience again in my life. So I should be elated right now. And yet, I'm actually a, kind of, a, a little bit annoyed because the NBA narratives coming out are so lazy. So lazy. And we'll get into that in a moment. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Hold the fantasy. You guys know the drill. We're not doing fantasy talk right now. We're doing playoff talk. It's playoff chat. I'm Dan Bespris, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S on Twitter. This is, of course, a hoopball presentation. Hoop-ball.com. By the way, brand new episode of the Hoopball Lakers podcast dropping first thing this morning. You guys Probably should have seen that one coming. Ethan and JC breaking down the Lakers' victory. And LA now three wins away from a from an NBA championship. But, all right, l- l- let me dive into a few different aspects of what went on last night. Number one, Lakers took a one nothing series lead over the Heat. 116-98, a game that actually wasn't even as close as the final 18-point margin would indicate. The highlights or lowlights of the game, the Heat found themselves getting beat up. Goran Dragic tried to pivot and blew out the bottom of his foot. A torn plantar fascia is what we've heard already, so he's probably done for the series. I don't know how you play through something like that, although if memory serves, I think Pau Gasol once had a partially torn plantar fascia, and they said, like, look, you can either just play and see what happens or get surgery or sit on it. So I'm thinking he's probably out. I don't know. I mean, it seems like a really bad idea to try to play basketball with that. You're not helping your team at that point. Uh, Bam Adebayo hurt his shoulder. It sounds like he's going to try to play through it. Jimmy Butler turned an ankle, and he ended up coming back to the game and playing through that. Uh, LeBron James hurt his shoulder in when Jay Crowder yanked him to the floor. Anthony Davis is playing with a sore heel. Danny Green got socked in the mouth. Certainly, from an injury standpoint, the Heat took it worse because it sounds like they're going to be without their third most important player in Goran Dragic. That said, 
That's not why the game yesterday went the way it did. Tyler Hero shooting 6 for 18 was a big part of the uh, goofed-up puzzle. And Bam Adebayo being completely neutralized, even before he got hurt. He was ineffective and fairly useless in that game and just ran up against, like, the souped-up version of himself in Anthony Davis and the rest of the Lakers' giant front court. That's the story, because Jimmy Butler was actually pretty good. Jimmy had 23-5 and five with a couple of steals, hit his five free throws. He did his normal stuff in 33 minutes. They, you know, he didn't get a ton of playing time. This game was a pretty round beatdown. Uh, the rest of the Heat didn't really do their part. Jay Crowder actually was okay. He had 12 points and hit four three-pointers, but the rest of the Heat did nothing. They got nothing out of the rest of these guys. But then here's what got me irritated, because I, I get there's the... Uh, and I'm actually... I'm on board with this thing. I would rather see a healthy finals. Even as a Laker fan, yeah, sure, if Miami loses a guy, that makes it easier for the Lakers to win. That's not the way I want to see this series go. I want to see the Lakers win straight up against the best punch the Heat can throw. And prior to the injuries in yesterday's game, prior to the injuries to Dragic and then to Adebayo, that's what was happening. And the Lakers were winning pretty robustly anyway. Now, admittedly, it was just one game. The Lakers also were shooting the lights out from three, so who knows what that exact moment might have been on another day. But this wasn't a game that was decided by the injury. So please don't let that cloud your assessment of what happened yesterday. It may play a role in what happens going forward. Because if Adebayo really does have a messed up shoulder and the Lakers have already game planned for him specifically, he's going to have a really rough series and that will obviously make things easier on the Lakers from this point on. But it's important to look at yesterday's game for what it was. And that was a, it was schematic dominance. It was schematic dominance similar to what the Lakers did to Portland and Houston. I actually never really felt like the Lakers schematically dominated the Denver Nuggets. The Nuggets had an offense that was basically unstoppable. The Nuggets' offense was basically unstoppable because they could get their switch, and Jamal Murray was punishing big guys with his crazy shot-making, and Nikola Jokic was punishing little guys because he could just shoot right over them or back them down or make the right pass if a double team comes. The La- no one was really stopping the Nuggets. The Lakers were just like, look, our best plan of attack, and they did this in the last two games against Denver, our best plan of attack is to just play them straight up see if we can figure out a way to get better defenders for us, the Lakers, in that pick and roll, such that, you know, we have sort of like in between, the tweeners can get involved in it, where instead of uh, Jokic being able to back down Rondo, he's backing down, I don't know, Danny Green, LeBron James, someone a little bit larger. And similarly on the Jamal Murray front, instead of having him going after Dwight Howard, maybe you have him going after Anthony Davis or LeBron or Kuz, or someone who's just a little bit lighter on their feet than the biggest man that is on the opposing team. And that actually worked. It slowed the Nuggets down because it didn't let those other guys get involved as much, and ultimately holding Denver to only 107 points in that clincher was actually a pretty good story because Denver shot 42%. And I get it. In that game, Jamal Murray wasn't 100%, but you you play 45 minutes every single game, inevitably you're going to get a little bit beat down. 
but those last two games, Lakers, Nuggets, those were the ones where the Lakers were like, look, we're not going to stop you. We just have to try to bring your efficiency down from an offensive rating of like 115 to like 105. And that's what they did. And Jamal Murray made a crap ton of difficult shots in game four of that series, remember, or they wouldn't have broken 100 in that one. I didn't think the Lakers dominated the Nuggets the way a 4-1 final might have indicated, but they did. They played the math game in that third round because they were like, look, uh, we believe that we have an offense that can post a better mark than whatever we can do to sort of take you out of your, your first thing. What we saw yesterday against Miami, outside of the Heat getting off to an early 23-10, 23-10 or was it 26-10? I think it was 23-10 opening spurt was schematic dominance. The Lakers forced the Heat into shooting off the dribble. Their rotations were good. They chased them off of the three-point line. They didn't let Adebayo feature as a passer in the offense by doing uh, a lot of switching off ball to make sure that guys weren't getting open. They they covered the cutters. And I thought this was a really interesting stat. Uh, there's there's a dude on Twitter. His name, he goes by Cranjus McBasketball, but he has some really good Lakers numbers. And one of the ones from yesterday that was really interesting, is on Adebayo. Bam has averaged five assists per game in the playoffs until last night when he had zero. But if you're thinking it's fluky, it's because in previous games, he had averaged 11 potential assists per game, meaning that his pass was leading to a good look at a shot and his teammates were converting roughly 5 out of 11 of those potential assists. Last night, and admittedly, he only played for about two and a half quarters, so you know a little bit more could have been coming, he only had one potential assist in two and a half quarters, where on a normal game, he'd be around six or seven or more. Only one. The Lakers schemed, their game plan was, Keep Adebayo from being a facilitator. If he's touching the ball, make him score past you. Make him feature his own offensive game. Make Jimmy Butler take three-pointers, which he made a couple early in the ballgame, and he did ultimately have a nice ballgame. Make Jay Crowder beat you after putting the ball on the ground. And he hit a couple of threes, and you know some of the issues for the Lakers early were that they, they didn't have this... They didn't really have the speed the first six or seven minutes of the ballgame, and then they kind of settled in. Make Tyler Hero beat you off the dribble. Because the Lakers have the rim protection to deal with this stuff. If somebody gets past an initial defender, they have guys that can protect the rim. There's no, There really aren't that many easy looks against this Lakers team. And so what they did in, in terms of game planning and, and utilizing those days off between series is the Lakers took away... Almost everything that the Heat wanted to do in their initial attacks. Jimmy Butler beat the Lakers by making shots. You're going to have to do that. A lot of guys are going to have to do that to beat this Lakers team. On the other side, the Lakers just rammed it down their throat. They out-rebounded the Heat 54-36. They used that size advantage in a colossal way. Interesting enough, the Lakers shot far more free throws than the Heat, but were actually called for more fouls than Miami in the ballgame. So it wasn't that the foul discrepancy was all that large. It was where they were occurring. Lakers fouled the Heat a bunch on the perimeter. They fouled guys attempting 
seemingly, I saw a couple for Alex Caruso in the game that he vehemently disagreed with, where he was just bumping guys near the three-point line, but they weren't shooting. They didn't foul jump shooters. That was a big, pretty big deal for the Lakers yesterday. Um, they tried not to give Butler too many foul shots by you know, not allowing him to create that contact. And then the rest of those guys... You know, but besides Butler and Adebayo, it's, a, it's an easier task to keep the rest of those guys off the line. With, with Dragic, even before he got hurt in that ballgame, he didn't attempt a free throw because the Lakers were sagging back. Now, the game plan against Miami was relatively straightforward. We covered it on yesterday's podcast. You make those guys beat you by shooting over you. Miami is most effective when they can get going towards the rim for dump-offs, lobs, kickouts to the three-point line. If you play... What basically amounts to drop coverage, if you if you let guys sag back a little bit and just chase Duncan Robinson off the three-point line, uh, and Tyler Hero, by the way, those are the guys that where you make sure you get up on them. Uh, the rest of those dudes are not are not hurting you. Butler doesn't want to pull up from behind a screen. Dragic doesn't really want to pull up from behind a screen. Those guys want to come around it and drive into your teeth. Take that away. And the Heat go into a largely dribble handoff kind of team. Take that away, and you saw what happened yesterday, which is a beatdown. It was a beatdown. There were some mitigating factors in the beatdown. You know, because the Lakers went up by 30 at one point in this game. I don't think that this game ever gets quite to that marker if the Lakers aren't as hot from three as they were early in the ballgame. But don't be fooled. The Lakers making some shots early is not why they won this game. They were on their way to winning this game by 25 to 30 points, and then they sort of dialed it down late, as you see in every basketball game ever. It's very difficult to actually keep your foot on the gas when you're up by 30 points. This was a schematic thumping. There's no other way to put it. The Heat didn't take away anything the Lakers were doing. LeBron got switches. On to Duncan Robinson, late in the game, on to Derek Jones Jr., on to Goran Dragic, on to, uh, at times, he picked on Jay Crowder too. Help defense did help. I mean, the highlights were fine, but on the whole, LeBron just ate him alive. He did some more. Lakers did a lot of work in the post, backing down, passing out of it. LeBron had nine assists. AD had five assists in the ballgame. Who's had actually a couple of decent assists, even if the dude can't really hit a shot? And it was just a beatdown. It was a schematic beatdown. Uh, the injuries are going to play a role going forward. Um, if it's just Dragic that's out, it, it doesn't change a ton for the Lakers because I think they'll they'll cover Tyler Hero relatively similarly to how they cover Goran Dragic. They'll uh, make him, as a pick-and-roll ball handler, they'll make him be a shooter as opposed to a driver. And if he's catching the pass, you make him put the ball on the ground. Tyler Harrell's shown himself to be a very adept catch-and-shoot guy. Same with Duncan Robinson, same with Jay Crowder. Lakers just have to make sure those guys don't do that, force Jimmy Butler to shoot, and then, you know, keep doing what they did to Bam. I was surprised, honestly, at uh, how lopsided that game was yesterday. I don't, I don't think they're all going to be like that, even if the Heat are missing someone. I think you'll see them make a couple more difficult shots. The Heat missed pretty much all of their hard shots in that game, aside from maybe one or two Jimmy Butler difficult shots. Lakers made a few of their hard shots. That tends to swing things a little bit. So, 
you know, the next couple games will likely be closer than the 18 to 30 window that we saw for large portions. But there's going to have to be uh, large scale changes on the Miami side. Zone didn't work. Lakers just knocked down a three pointer and Miami abandoned it. They ran it for like two plays, I think, in yesterday's game. It was, it was very brief. What about from a betting standpoint? Well, uh, I thought the Lakers would win the game straight up. I actually thought Miami would cover, although I think I said I was probably leaving both the side and the total alone in the game to look instead at sort of combining some uh, odds and ends with a half unit on Bam to win finals MVP, a half unit on Jimmy to win finals MVP. Those are not dead, by the way, if Miami can figure this thing out. Um and then I think we looked at taking the Lakers on the money line for the game yesterday at minus 190. So that would have hit now. And now you have an opportunity, if you want to, to uh, hedge a little bit, right? So if we're working off of what we talked about on yesterday's podcast, the Lakers won that minus 190 wager on the game on the money line. So we're now up one unit, but we have a unit laid out, a half a unit on Bam to win finals MVP and a half unit on Jimmy to win finals MVP. If we do nothing right now, a worst-case scenario is we break even. If we did nothing at all at this exact moment because we won our unit and effectively you can say we took that winning unit from yesterday and that's the one that's, uh, that's currently being split between Bam and Butler. The game tomorrow, by the way, already has a line out. Lakers are favored by eight. So the assumption there is that Bam is going to miss that ball game, although I don't I, I don't know that that's the case. The money line on that game is minus 360. Total is at 217. Total basically was, was right on the mark yesterday. Uh, there was a shot at the end of the game that would have, I think, put the total right on 217. Was it Solomon Hill who took a shot? No, it was somebody else. Somebody else took a shot for the Heat with five seconds left, just the, you know, the end of game, whatever. If that goes in, it's a push. If it doesn't, it went under. And, you know, this is this is ultimately why we left this side in the total alone in game one. And I said, ah, oh, if you want to put a quarter or a tenth of a unit on stuff, that, by the way, is code for, I'm not betting it. So let's look now at some of the other notes on the NBA, because we have... Uh, playoff series prices updated after yesterday's game, and it has swung dramatically. And this is why it was actually kind of interesting to to do it the way we did it, where if we had put a unit on the Lakers' series price at minus 360, we'd just have to sit on that. And right now, obviously, they look like a good bet to win the series, but it's pretty crummy to have 3.6 units laid out like that when instead we went the individual game money line route we got our unit winnings. It's currently split between two Heat players for finals MVP, and we can reassess what we want to do from here. The series price, by the way, is now Lakers at minus 1,800. It is now uh, a very ugly wager. The Heat are a 10 to 1 underdog all of a sudden. So that went up from plus 290 to plus 985, thanks to the ugly loss in game one and the injuries suffered in game one. This is a difficult time to put money on anything. You're certainly not taking the Lakers at minus 1770, so just take that off the board. That's not even in consideration. No one would ever lay that kind of money on something where, what if LeBron gets hurt or AD gets hurt in the next ballgame? Anything can happen. In the anything can happen realm, 
I wouldn't kill you if you put a quarter unit on the heat at plus 985. I also think I'd probably leave it alone. So then you look at some of the other stuff that's on the board. Uh, You can bet on when the series finishes. Uh, Sweep is at plus 120, which is clunky. Uh, Obviously the same price as betting the Lakers win 4-0. That's also plus 120. Game 5 finish, plus 200. Same price as if the Lakers win it 4-1. If you think this series still goes 6 or 7 games, you could potentially get some uh, interesting odds on it. I think what I'd probably do now is just squat for a game. I don't know that we need to get in on anything because in all likelihood, the Heat are, are, are probably going to lose this series. I said that on yesterday's show. I thought it would go about six games, uh, and I thought the Lakers would win because it did seem like they had the right counters. I didn't expect it to be that big of a smacking in game one, and I also didn't expect multiple injuries to take place. The injuries you really can't see coming. There's a fear here, I think, of the Lakers maybe taking their foot off the gas if they hear about Bam and Dragic missing Game 2. In that case, I think I'd probably take the Heat, because you're probably going to be catching 8 or 9 points with them at that point. I, I don't know how the Lakers keep the same energy up in a game where they probably are able to turn it on enough to win it late. But that would be what I'd look for in tomorrow's game, and, and we'll talk more about that when we get to tomorrow's game. But I do, I do have a rant kind of locked in the chamber at this point, and the rant is that the narrative circling, and it even started yesterday before the series began, was that the Lakers are somehow getting lucky. That is a lazy, lazy narrative. So lazy. First of all, the Lakers had, before the bubble, the second-best record in the NBA behind the Bucks. So lucky? No! They were the best team in the league on the road in the NBA. Lucky? Nope. One of the best home records in the NBA, but a lot of teams had really good home marks. Lakers are the number one seed in the Western Conference. If you get the number one seed, you should have an easier path to the playoffs. It's why teams try to win regular season games. Clippers fans, I know, are actually quite annoyed about this. They're pretty, they're pissed that their team didn't win more regular season games and maybe get to avoid the Mavericks in the first round, although that series turned out to be easier than expected because KP went down. But here's why none of that makes sense. It's why it's, it's such a lazy take. Oh, the Lakers didn't have to go through the Bucks or the Raptors or the Celtics or the Clippers to get to this point to win a championship. Guess what? They played teams that beat those teams. Or are currently doing so. I know that basketball isn't really a transitive property kind of situation, but you guys do realize, those of you perpetuating this insanely lazy theory, that the Heat beat the Bucks. The Heat beat the Celtics. Handily beat both of those teams. The Celtics beat the Raptors. Then the Heat beat the Celtics. The Heat beat the Pacers. The Bucs weren't good in the playoffs either of the last two years. The Raptors had a tougher time last year with Philly. Philly would have been a tough team in the playoffs if they were healthy this year. And they may have a new coach by the end of today. What about in the Western Conference? Oh, but the Lakers didn't have to go through the Clippers. They played the team that beat the Clippers and creamed them. 
Oh, the Rockets gave up. The Rockets gave up because the Lakers manhandled them. They got to play the Blazers. Does no one remember that a month ago, I was told on air I should bet the Blazers to win that series, that the Lakers are, quote, the worst one seed in NBA history, and Portland is, quote, the best eight seed in NBA history. I was told those exact things, and then the Lakers creamed Portland. It is a lazy take to say the Lakers are getting lucky. What's an actual... This is why you need to watch every damn game at this point. The Lakers are really, really good. Particularly on defense. And this is, I think, what what screws people up. Most, Most casual fans, and I would never fault them for this. Most casual fans don't watch anything going on on defense. And that's totally fine. But those of us that bet on the game, we have to be a little bit more tuned into that. Those of us that play fantasy sports, we have to be tuned into defensive stats, although actual schemes don't really come into play all that much. If you haven't been watching this Lakers team closely, particularly here in the postseason, then you might miss it. But they've run a litany of different defensive schemes in this playoffs so far. The way they covered Dame was different than the way they covered McCollum, was different than the way they handled James Harden, was different than the way they handled Russell Westbrook. The Lakers built a team with an all-world defensive big man in Anthony Davis, and then basically 3 and D guys, well, obviously LeBron, who's the engine, but then 3 and D guys pretty much everywhere else on the floor aside from a backup playmaker in Rajon Rondo, who was horrible during the regular season. He was terrible. He didn't guard anyone. He's trying in the playoffs. Defensively, he's trying. He's still missing some stuff, but as far as gimmicky defenses, he's actually been a pretty key part of that. What all of these people are missing when they say the Lakers are just getting lucky, that they're catching teams when, they, when they're not having good games, that's lazy. These teams are not having good games because the Lakers are taking away their top two, three, four methods of attack. They exploited the fact that if you get up on Dame, if you run what's called a catch hedge and aggressively double him on a pick and roll, and he has to give it back to a big man that isn't a good short roll passer in Nurk or Whiteside, you remove Portland's offense. That's Portland's offense. Dame Dame pick and roll and Dame iso is Portland's offense. Lakers had some guys that could stick with him a little bit in isolation. He's... A good finisher around the rim, but not going through Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, and JaVale McGee. And so Portland had no counter. And then offensively, I mean, there's just nothing that teams can do to the combination of LeBron, AD, and anybody making a shot at any given moment. Houston, the Lakers figured out, and I don't know why other teams haven't either, that if you get the ball out of James Harden's hands, he stands at center court with both thumbs up his rectum. He doesn't move. So then you're playing four on five if you're the Rockets. And so the Lakers just let Russ have it, sag back, dare him to shoot, and he builds a brick wall. The Rockets didn't give up. They just had no way to beat him without James Harden moving. Give the Nuggets a ton of credit. That was the only team that had a plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E, and ran through all of them and why they were competitive in every single damn game. Other than the first one where they just had no energy. 
The Nuggets series was far and away the toughest series the Lakers have gone through so far because they had those counters. They moved Jeremy Grant around. He was big in that series because he was moving. There are ways to try to deal with what the Lakers were doing to teams on defense, but when you take away a team's one, two, three options, they look ugly. Let me, let me use another example of this, and I talked about it extensively on yesterday's podcast, what the Heat did to the Bucks. Everyone talks in that series about what the Heat did to the Bucks because they won. No one in that series talks about what the Bucks were doing to the Heat. The Bucks actually played pretty damn good defense in their series against Miami, but offensively, they looked like buffoons. Milwaukee looked like they'd never been there before. They had no idea how to deal with the Heat packing the paint. None. No clue. And so Milwaukee wasn't able to score. That allowed the Heat to get out and get some easy ones in runouts. Milwaukee had very few transition opportunities in that series, and they had no half-court offense. But no one's talking about the fact that teams slow other teams down. The Bucks took the Heat out of their initial offense. Boston and, and Toronto was actually a really good example of that. Both teams took the other one out of their preferred method of offense. It's why it ended up as sort of a dogfight, slugfest, nobody can score kind of thing. The difference between what we are seeing with specifically the Lakers in these playoffs is that no one has been able to consistently counter their offense. The Lakers are... They're able to slow teams down on the defensive end, and it'd be a totally different narrative if anybody was slowing the Lakers down. Denver did the best job for about three quarters, split between about two quarters of Game 2 and the first quarter of Game 3. Sorry, wait. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. I may, I may be getting my games wrong. I apologize if I am. The chronology in my brain is all warped. Uh, Denver got as close as anyone has to figuring out a way to slow down the Lakers with the, the some pre-rotating on defense, trying to cut off passing lanes and forced a bunch of turnovers and so forth. Lakers then worked a counter to that, and that's basically been it. It's not luck. And this is what always happens when teams play good defense. It's the same. It's not just the Lakers this year. So I don't want you guys to think that it's just me getting all hot and bothered because it's the Lakers. It's just lazy analysis. Oh, so-and-so so and so team is getting lucky. So-and-so team is getting lucky. It's not that someone's getting lucky. It's that they've completely obliterated what another team wants to do and then can still score themselves so the other team just doesn't get anything easy. Watch the games closely, guys. Don't just go to that 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 lazy narrative. I saw someone on Twitter say, uh, "Oh, the Lakers are just bludgeoning teams. They're just, you know, they're just beating teams up." By the way, the example that was given was Anthony Davis is just shooting over small people in the post. That's not bludgeoning. That's finesse. Shooting over a smaller player if you're seven feet tall is not bludgeoning. Bludgeoning is going through someone. Closest thing we've seen to that is LeBron uh, knocking Jamal Murray down a couple of times in the Denver series. It's not a bludgeoning, man. This is an exacto knife. They're carving teams apart, specifically on defense. No one ever wants to watch what teams are doing on defense, but that's where it's happening right now. 
This is without Avery Bradley, too. Their best on-ball point-of-attack defender. Watch them closely, guys. Watch what's happening defensively. Watch the off-ball switches. Watch how screens are covered. Watch how Bam is covered if he's playing in the rest of this series. Go back and watch footage of what they did against Houston and Portland. And tell me, were these teams shooting poorly because they just weren't going in? Were they shooting poorly because they're shots they're not accustomed to taking? Get them out of the comfort zone. All right, rant done. My internet went out midway through this podcast, so we're not going to look up any additional stats. But what I will tell you is that everything we've brought to you on this show is brought to you by our buddies at mybookie.ag. Open up an account right now. You can look at some of those crazy series prices and exact results and exotics and other things that are floating around out there on this NBA set. You can also get in on NFL, MLB playoffs, tennis, college football, MMA, golf, NBA 2K. You can bet on esports, soccer. You can play blackjack in their casino. They got it all, man. Promo code is HOOPBALL, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. Thank you, by the way, to everybody that's been signing up over at mybookie.ag. This continued partnership is powering the locomotive, and you guys are a big reason why. Minimum deposit $25 of Bitcoin, $45 with credit card. And with the promo code, you unlock a 100% deposit match bonus if you want to use it. And if not, that's fine, too. We, of course, will continue to watch for odds boost. We'll never miss one of those bad boys. Free money. And in the meantime, we'll keep handicapping these NBA games. No plays yet on this Friday card. We'll wait and find out uh, on tomorrow's show. We'll talk more about it when we get news on who's actually playing for Miami. And if we don't get that news, you should probably leave it alone. Enjoy another massive day of baseball playoffs. Back at you tomorrow morning. We'll break down game two, Heat and Lakers. Lakers 1-0 series lead. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I am Dan Vespris. Have a great Thursday. So long. This has been a hoop ball presentation.